Welcome to S2 Underground, a freelance intelligence agency fighting terrorism, fake news, and political tyranny around the world. I'm the trouble starter, punkin' instigator. Ladies, gentlemen, and the always forgotten UH1 UE gunships, welcome back, and thanks for sticking with us as we expand the S2 Underground project. So let's get right to it with the intelligence that mattered this week, starting with an update on the coronavirus. The coronavirus has begun to seriously impact the automotive market, which, when coupled with the trade war between the U.S. and China, will almost certainly have serious economic impacts for both countries as well as the world economy in the future. To put this in perspective, the trade war alone has led to an 8.2% drop in auto sales coming out of China in 2019, which was the second year of loss, when the previous 27 years had shown nothing but growth. So what does this mean for us? Well, you take not a not-quite-crippled but seriously degraded market, and then take all of the workers and raw materials away due to quarantines, and you've got a serious economic crisis on your hands. So far, the only good news is that Hubei province, where the virus originated, doesn't have a huge export market. Uh, however, a 2012 report from the Japanese government indicated that Japan imports roughly 40% of all wiring harnesses and ignition wiring sets from China. So, while the coronavirus spread may not have an easy-to-see and explain direct impact on the world economy, the trickle-down effects are clear to see. Fortunately, China is a large nation, and recent reporting indicates that Chinese factories have, for the most part, weathered the storm so far, with many plants coming back online in adjacent districts and being able to absorb the blow of factories being offline in Hubei. However, if the virus hits epidemic levels in other parts of China, the Chinese manufacturing sector may not be able to absorb this blow, which in turn presents a unique challenge to the world economy, the effects of which really can't be known at this time. Moving on to a topic our tinfoil hat-wearing brethren will certainly enjoy, the concept behind implementing 5G has come under scrutiny this week, as many people have voiced concern with the health impacts that 5G may have. Scholars and researchers have also voiced concerns that since Chinese tech company Huawei is the main company pressing for the rollout of 5G, this company has exclusive ties to the Chinese PLA and the Ministry of State Security, which is the Chinese version of the CIA. In short, Policymakers around the world are concerned with the security of 5G as Huawei is heavily influenced by the Chinese Communist government, with some theorists suggesting that the level of influence is so high that the Chinese government essentially owns Huawei. Earlier this week, Switzerland halted their rollout of 5G technology until more research can be done to determine the health risks, if any, that result from widespread usage. So far, the limited amount of research that has been done by independent research groups has indicated that the health risks at this time are low. However, all entities agree that much more research is needed. From what we can tell, much of the public concern lies not necessarily with the bandwidth that this network will operate on, which is, by the way, vastly larger than the current 4GE LTE networks, but rather the spread of the transmitters. Uh, in extremely simple terms, the plan is for these 5G nodes to be essentially spread out like light poles next to highways, with future plans to include micro-nodes within rooms of buildings. So, rather than having one or two cell phone towers covering an area, you would essentially have a node on every power pole, within every room, inside every building, 
and inside every vehicle on the road. This alone has captured the imagination of even the most docile conspiracy theorists with ideas coming forth regarding everything from brain cancer to mass government surveillance. As a result, many private research entities are currently studying the impacts of this technology on all fronts. Consequently, our own analysis indicates that research into the health risks will most likely reveal that there aren't too many health concerns, at least at this stage. Here's why. The only type of research that can be done is short-term research. The world of technological innovation simply won't wait for the decades-long research to study the long-term health effects. However, considering the U.S. Department of Defense's hesitation to rely on any technology that is remotely of Chinese origin, the security concerns are far less likely to be dismissed. With the banning of smartwatches in DoD facilities, and even the 82nd Airborne not being allowed to take phones or laptops on deployments, the DoD certainly has a spotlight on technology that, that allows OPSEC and other security violations. This means that the security risks presented by 5G are far more likely to receive research funding, and because of this, we'll almost certainly have to make major changes, further delaying the rollout in the U.S. And since security always trumps health and safety as far as the U.S. government is concerned, our tinfoil hat friends might not have too much to worry about. And up next, our strategic intelligence update for the week, the Cold War at Home. On the home front, aging communist and local tyrannical dictator Bernie Sanders has suggested making every firearm within the U.S. an NFA item, requiring the already unconstitutional ATF to fingerprint you and impose a $200 tax on all firearms. Sanders' website, as of Friday, continues to say under the banner of gun safety, quote, regulate assault weapons in the same way that we currently regulate fully automatic weapons, a system that essentially makes them unlawful to own. End quote. We already knew this was coming, uh, as disarmament is the latest fascination among politicians, liberal or conservative, Republican or Democrat. Without getting too much into the weeds of an already extremely hot-button issue, we have noticed that the quote-unquote gun control banner is no longer being waved, so much as a total disarmament is being touted. Earlier this year, Beto O'Rourke was openly advocating for gun confiscation, something that in years past even the most liberal candidate wouldn't go near. Currently, all Democrat candidates are openly calling for total disarmament and confiscation of essentially all guns, not just the measures that we traditionally know as gun control. Even Elizabeth Warren has stated in past interviews on her website that she would try to remove the protections provided by the Second Amendment altogether via executive order and institute national gun confiscations. So why does this matter? Well, the reason is twofold, and it's not the reason that many gun advocates might think. At the risk of getting into a debate over what the Second Amendment actually states, what is undeniable is that the amendment was written not to explicitly guarantee the right to own guns, nor was it written to guarantee the right to carry a gun for personal safety and defense. It was written to guarantee the right for citizens to possess the same technologies and capabilities as the government, which at the time, and today, mostly means guns and other arms. Now, since overthrowing the government by force is not a topic that most Americans want to even think about, much less talk about, 
The Second Amendment has essentially been rewritten in the court of public opinion to be about hunting or sport shooting or personal defense. From a historical standpoint, we don't necessarily agree with that point, but at least the watering down of the Second Amendment over time follows a, a line of linear logic. And even though we think it's philosophically incorrect, we can see where, over the years, a good portion of the gun community would want to shy away from an amendment that was written in the wake of a war on American soil. It's simply not pretty to think about. Nonetheless, the original intent behind the Second Amendment is beginning to enter into the mainstream consciousness of many Americans, which presents this twofold problem that I mentioned earlier. Firstly, not a single politician, Republican or Democrat, wants to acknowledge that the Second Amendment is about citizens being able to possess the same arms as the government. It is highly unlikely that any candidate from either party would endorse the abolishment of the ATF, which is interesting considering that the idea of getting rid of the ATF is just as extreme as gun confiscation, which is now being openly advocated for. Secondly, and perhaps most seriously, the sentiment that an entire political party openly supports total disarmament. Let that sink in for a second. It's one thing to take the President Obama or even the President Trump route and say that you support the Second Amendment, but once you're in office, subtly chip away at rights. But the fact that every Democratic candidate supports total disarmament and still elicits the support of a sizable portion of America indicates the sentiment of disarmament presenting a unique challenge for the future of not only the Second Amendment, but all of the others as well. After all, candidates only have the support that people give them. And with more than 42 million registered Democrats, the Cold War to take away our rights may be instituted by our politicians, but it's being fought amongst ourselves. All right, Freedom Fighters, that's all we've got for today. Check out our Instagram for live updates throughout the week. And if you have any ideas for topics of episodes or something you'd like to see us talk about, shoot us an email at s2undergroundactual at gmail.com. And always remember, fight in the shade. S2 Actual Out.